0: Thursday, 27th of December, no, not December, September. Not not quite yet. My head, you know what it is, James? It is just such a sunny, beautiful day outside. It feels like Mm. um, summer's here. My mind just went there, wow. Um, It feels like a Sydney Christmas day. (laughs) Yeah, Friday, 27th of December, 2013. Hello to you, wherever you are in the world. Um, Speaking of wherever someone is in the world, I got a tweet from Emily Hay, who is in Detroit, Michigan, and um, she remembered kindly remembered that last Friday was my birthday, and she tweeted me on my birthday, and she said, "Hey, I heard it was your birthday today in the Monkey Podcast, so happy birthday!" That's nice. Yeah. Um, so she, so she's Emily Hay on Twitter. So Emily, thanks for the message, and you did say that the Tesla is in the mail. That's cool. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye out for it. It's a right-hand drive, though. I don't think you're allowed to drive right-hand drives on, on the roads uh, in Australia without special p- permits, etc.
1: Yeah, yeah. You probably can't. Yeah,
0: Nobody will notice. Nobody will notice. <laughs> they probably probably won't. Um, too much attention to the car. So, James, um, what do we have on the show today? I don't know. You're the one who organizes it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we have on the show? So, we are talking about... Um, you know i love it when you know allegedly i'm the ceo <laughs> allegedly and even yesterday chelsea one of our staff members she got in the morning and she said hey will you do um you know will you respond to the the tweets today you know i love it when delegation happens upwards <laughs> you know it uh, shows us an efficient flat architecture <laughs> yeah definitely flat um flat <laughs> flat hierarchy here um Teleportation, which has actually come to life, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, quant- quantum teleportation, which is uh, it's very, very cool, very interesting area. So we'll be talking to a uh, Dr Arkady Fedorov, who is a senior lecturer at the School of Mathematics from the U- University of Queensland, and he has been involved in some research to not teleport atoms per se, but teleport information about atoms, which is all um, very. Um, Theoretical and interesting but relevant, so we'll be talking to him later on in the show, and we're lucky that we have you, a physics graduate, to demystify all of this in, mm-hmm. in, in an incredible way, because I, I do understand that quantum physics is very much your area of expertise
1: um I I, just, I did do quantum physics at uni but um I think I just barely scraped in with a pass on it so it was it was probably my lowest uh, rated subjects, but I can probably I can, I, I at least understand it so well, well I don't understand it but I at least uh, uh can put some pointers into making some of it make sense
0: well we'll definitely um Get some insight from you. So that's coming up later on in the show. But let's kick it off as usual with some happenings. And as always, incredibly busy with all sorts of interesting stories. Let's touch on again quickly the Twitter IPO. We spoke about that in the last uh, podcast. Of course, Twitter um, will be IPOing. Um, their date has come to light. I mean, it's still not totally confirmed, but apparently, the end of November is going to be when Twitter will be IPOing. Um, and apparently it's gonna be on the New York Stock Exchange and not on NASDAQ, which is quite interesting because most tech stocks actually list on NASDAQ, Facebook listed on NASDAQ, and of course they had the technical issues on there, and uh, most tech stocks do list on NASDAQ, but Twitter have decided to go um, with the New York Stock Exchange. What's, what's the difference between the two? I don't, don't really know much about it. So they actually just, uh, I mean, they're different exchanges. Right. you know so, so if they're, you, both, they're both exchanges it's just choice for the companies what they pick exactly and they offer different services to the companies and i, I think that there's different you know traditionally nasdaq has been the the, the stock exchange to go for mm-hmm. um you know upcoming tech companies i don't know how that started off if there were different cost structures or what exactly um drove that and if new york's it, a stock exchange was perhaps for more established companies i think i'm not sure where nasdaq is um situated as well the headquarters i'm not sure if there's an east coast west coast Mm, possibly divide thing happening but um obviously um you know twitter decided that the new york stock exchange was the way to go as far as i know i mean i'm not a professional you you know stock analyst but as far as i know it doesn't really make that much of a difference to the average person in the Mm -hmm. street what exchange um everything works the same it's just yeah sort of like you know Bondi Markets versus Marrickville Markets type yep. thing yep. maybe that's that's a bit of a poor <laughs> analogy but <laughs> Sure, that will uh, make make a lot of sense to our US, US listeners. <laughs> exactly. I think we've got a got a few Australian listeners, but yeah. um, so that's and there's a lot of talk. You know, there've been a lot of great articles about. You know, now everyone's doing an analysis of where's Twitter going to go, um, what's going to do with its revenue, how's the product going to change. Yeah. Um, you know, I read a really interesting article about Twitter's Trump card is the fact that it's going to be able to target ads in. In the, most, you know, in the most calibrated way in many ways, um, probably only with Facebook being able to compete with their level of calibration because Twitter can target based on your interest graph because mm-hmm. they can see who you follow, what you're interested in, um, they can sort of sniff out your other cookies, etc., and voila, they can, they can push promoted tweets your way in a very highly targeted and calibrated way.
1: You know, I just had a thought. I just had a thought of what Twitter should do they should have a they should have the ability to follow somebody privately because i can just imagine like there are lots of people who you know they follow brands and things they are interested in but you know they might really like i don't know coke or whatever but they don't necessarily want to be seen as following the coke account but they might be quite interested in following the um Following the the updates from it, it'd be an interesting way that they could actually um, they could get even a more accurate
0: interest graph because people
1: won't yeah, feel embarrassed. People, or yeah, there is definitely an element of um, of you know your your interest graph does describe you publicly to a certain degree. So having a private interest graph that wasn't shared outside of Twitter would then then give them the ability to target.
0: But um, James I'm tired of giving all our ideas to Twitter. <laughs> you know, they've got this ecosystem working hard so for them. I think we've given even, up innovating long ago, so <laughs> we, we don't even get share options. We've had all these fantastic ideas. I think that's an interesting idea. I think I think Twitter are quite scared about making the 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 service more complicated. Mm. You know, all of this advertising and this calibrated advertising is all premised on one thing, and that is having the massive user base. And that's the one yep. thing they're still struggling with is they way behind Facebook. Yeah. Um, and unless they get that user growth or all the calibration in the world and, and the amazing targeting, you know, you can't scale this animal. So, I think they're scared of, of introducing anything that's going to make it more complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, day these features don't. Um make very little difference to growth. I think it's, you know, it's not, um, people don't choose to go to Twitter because they have lists or whatever, you know, it's not a, it doesn't make any difference, so.
0: Yeah, look, I think it's gonna become a place for T V and celebrities. I, I see um, the NRL in, in the US, that's the uh, American football, just mm-hmm. signed a deal with Twitter to get exclusive video clips and things like that. So mm, interesting. That's a huge you know, that's a huge deal. Twitter's gonna get into the They're almost becoming like T V in mm, a sense a as a broadcast medium. Yeah. They also announced that they, they're offering an um, emergency notification service that that governments and other relief agencies are signing up to, mm. so they'll be able to ping out, um, because they've activated a SMS notification service now, you can get SMS notifications on, t- on certain accounts only. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot, uh, you know, I think Twitter have got this pipeline of activity that's ultimately all gonna drive revenue that they're starting to unravel now to 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 hockey stick the revenue up so when they list, they got this revenue growth. Um, Very different to what Facebook did when they were quite a mature revenue company. So um, very exciting times on the Twitter side of things. Um, So we'll be following that with interest. But um, Twitter's not the only thing where interesting things have been happening. Of course, the, the juggernaut Google made a very significant change, um, I don't know, within the last week or so, um, where they're gonna encrypt all keyword searches. Now James, talk us through exactly um, what's changing and why this is significant.
1: So uh, Google, Google have changed over in the past uh, for logged in users. So by default, every search you performed on Google was done through a secure connection, which means that people can't read the information um, if they sort of get the if they can you know somehow hijack your connection. And this is only for, for if you were logged in. Previously it was only if you logged in. I think that was from about mid 2011 that happened.
0: So if you still say open a, a browser window on a new computer, new browser just for argument's sake, and you go to google.com yep. and you just search for something, it's still not in an SSL, not in an encrypted connection. Yeah.
1: So previously it wasn't wasn't encrypted. Um, and at the, uh, the beginning, when they turned it on, it was about um, it affected about eleven percent of traffic coming through Google. Um, and sorry, so eleven percent of of Google's traffic. So about eleven percent of people were logged in at any okay. one point in time. So if most people were actually searching,
0: you know, without being logged in. Okay, but if they were logged in, then it was secure. It was secure, and the keyword data would not. Tr- uh, trickle through to your analytics, so if you were logged in and you searched for um, New car and you landed up on the Toyota website Toyota wouldn't have seen that you came using the keyword New car. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so the, the passing of the keyword data is the significant um, Impact I guess to lots of businesses um, Obviously, it's a good thing for consumers that SSL is on by default because it makes it all more, more secure um, but, uh, for, for people who, um, run websites, it make, makes it much harder because there's no way for them to know what keywords you were searching in order to get to their, their website now. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, people could argue that that was never information that should have really been passed along anyway. It was kind of just not a of the, the system. So, um, you know, it's not, um. For consumers, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. I think a lot of consumers actually probably, you know, it's probably actually quite a good thing. But for people who run websites, it does make it a lot harder to, um, to really understand where traffic's coming from
0: and to and to do, um, you know, SEO and 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 search engine marketing in general. So now, basically, anything on Google, you um, you're not getting any keywords. You're not going to be able to see why people have arrived at your site unless it's through Um, Google AdWords, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So you'll still get that information, yeah, for AdWords. Uh, So if you're running campaigns and you're paying Google money, then you'll get that information, you know, where the clicks are coming from. But, yeah, the organic stuff, the the vast majority of searches, there'll be no information coming through. Um, So, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll probably affect... um, uh, It'll probably affect the ability of people to actually perform SEO quite significantly. So the ability of people to kind of game Google's algorithm um, is definitely going to be diminished. Um, But I think it probably will have something of a negative impact because for people who, you know, people who are really um, hardcore SEO experts, whatever, have all the tools, you know, if if you spend an awful lot of time and awful lot of data, you can kind of reveal this information. Um, but just for the average sort of website owner it's gonna make it much much harder to understand um, you know if they're getting tons of traffic because they have you know a certain product that gets you know really highly searched for and it's just coming through to their home page there's no way for them to know that they they have to op- they can optimize on that product so I think
0: it probably it does hurt the average website owner quite a bit of course um, you can still see um, keywords that come through on Yahoo or Bing yeah well which is obviously a smaller percentage bing's been sneaking up yeah yeah yeah. it it
1: has been growing a little bit but it's still i mean it's still yeah kind of insignificant in in terms of search engine
0: marketing so but um i guess you could use that as an indicator i think i mean one of the things you know when the web sort of kicked off and really got hot in the late 90s i mean it was definitely one of the the elements that was really quite exciting to see um you know the power of the web with the way the way people would discover you in in often seemingly unrelated ways mm, Yeah, you know that and and you were like oh wow that you know i, ne- I never realized I, I wrote a paragraph on xyz and i had no idea that there are people in uh, turkey that are fascinated by this and it's that discovery element was really powerful and i think i mean i think it's it's a loss i can see i can see google's point of view they probably feel that, you know, the less, you know, gaming of the keywords is better for the web, where, you know, they're always pushing the line. In theory, you should just be writing for your audience and targeting your audience and doing everything for your audience in that organic type of um, bigger picture way. But, um, you know, the reality is it's never really never really worked like that unless you are google or youtube yourself where you don't even need seo friendly links on google plus or youtube but everyone else in the world has um, seo friendly links yeah look i'm I'm sure they're not doing this because
1: um they're trying to get rid of the the links you know i think it's primarily a security thing it improves security for people using google um but yeah look it's obviously it's a happy coincidence you know they they could have um they could have preserved this information if they wanted to it wouldn't um you know there are ways you could do it you could certainly pass this information along um to to webmasters in some capacity um you know you could run it through a redirect or whatever Um, and they also could have you know removed the information without doing ssl if they wanted to so um yeah it's kind of just a consequence of SSL that uh, this information is getting removed and they haven't you know really done a huge amount to um, to, to put it back in essentially, so
0: um, You're going to be away in a couple of weeks and actually one of the the guys I'm thinking of co-hosting the, the show um, whilst I'm away whilst you're away um, which I Haven't reached out to him yet, but um, is the head of a SEO agency in Sydney and I'd like to get him in and, and discuss how this impacts hmm. um, yeah. their yeah, SEO views. Yeah. Because it it does seem like a core. That's the whole keyword analysis and analysing the keywords and the long tails has been quite I, I think has been quite at the heart of a lot of what organic search has been about. Yeah, definitely, yeah.
1: I think there there probably is some way. Uh, Google has their webmaster tools and I, I would imagine there's probably some way to I think they, they give you your top keywords or something on those lines, but it's definitely a much um, much more limited resource than what you would have got originally through the
0: through the referrer information. Interesting. So that's Google um, Google activating SSL and removing keywords um, from from all From all searches. The other interesting story that popped up, um, California is always doing interesting things and passing interesting laws. They're also going broke, which is a whole other story. But that's... (laughs) uh, um, There was a bill passed allowing minors to delete embarrassing web posts. So Governor Jerry Brown approved a new law mandate giving young people... Um, the ability to remove embarrassing information they post on internet social networking sites. California is now the first state in the nation to require websites such as Facebook to give minors a way to take down photos and other posts from their sites, according to Common Sense Media, a nonprofit group. Um, so, yeah, it seems like California is basically saying to these social media companies that. Um, if people want to delete, if, if minors under 18s want to delete something, um, you cannot refuse or, or structure your system in a way that they can't delete it.
1: Mm. It's, it's it's interesting. I mean, on one hand, it's, um, you know, it's addressing the problem. And, you know, it's, de- it's definitely a problem that, that needs addressing. You know, people do post stuff online um, that, you know, they later realize they really shouldn't have done that. But... Um, I don't know, it's very hard to pass a law to do that. I think it's not, it's not necessarily so much a problem that you can't take it down from the sites themselves. I mean, I can't think of any social network where you can't delete information. I think the real problem comes with, um, uh, you know, that information getting, you know, copied by somebody else as soon as it's on the internet as public and um, you really just can't take that stuff back. It's, it's, you know, it's an artifact
0: of the way the internet's built rather than what the companies themselves are doing. Facebook, though, doesn't let you delete your account. I mean, even that alone. You cannot delete your Facebook account. The only thing that you can do is you can deactivate it. Yeah, you, you can't? You no. can't delete? Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. No, they don't let you... Once, once you create a Facebook account, that's it. But you can definitely delete all your posts if you, you can, want to. Yes, you can delete all your posts. You can't delete photos... Um, obviously other people's photos that have you in them. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, actually that is an interesting one. I wonder whether this um yeah, it's not clear. I wonder whether this law would cover that what other people have posted about
0: you. I mean, I recently did a Facebook cleanup of photos and posts and things like that and it's 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 an effort. It's real, tr- and it's an effort to work out what other people see. I mean, the one nice tool on Facebook is that you can um, effectively see your profile as another user, mm. which is worth yeah. which is worth doing. I encourage people if you are worried about your privacy on Facebook, there is an option where you can go, you can sort of emulate it as a friend, and you can see what. Like you know can and can't see type thing but it's not it's not a straightforward thing even for us they work in the industry to do i think we need a uh, managed facebook <laughs> we definitely oh, look if, for posts <laughs> if they had an api we could work with yeah yeah you know I'd, i yeah. i i don't know if we could um, but we've had, we've definitely had many requests over the years to to be able yeah. to clean up it. it becomes really cluttered and um,
1: we actually get a lot of requests people to delete tweets as well, which is which is interesting. Mm. I'd imagine if it's, it's for the same reason, you know, just you know, a year later you
0: decided that that thing you posted at you know two a.m. in the morning on a Friday probably wasn't the best drunken, thing. Yeah, drunken exactly. tweets, yeah, so. drunken tweets, and even um, even famous and smart, you know, people do silly things. I remember a couple of years ago, um, Randy Zuckerberg, who was Mark Zuckerberg's sister. Mm-hmm. She was working in PR in um, Facebook at the time. I think she's now got her own startup. But uh, she was based in the Bay Area and she went to um, New York mm-hmm. and she went clubbing out with friends. And, of course, New York's clubbing scene is notoriously snobby. It's just some clubs are just, I mean, they're out of control. And I think she got bounced from some club and she tweeted or put on Facebook. I think it was actually a tweet. And um, that said something like, you know, oh, Mr. Cool Bouncer throwing me... How would he like to wake up tomorrow morning and find like that all his photos are gone? or Something like that. And Michael Arrington, who still owned TechCrunch at the time, picked up on this. Yeah. And he wrote a story on how unprofessional <laughs> it was crazy. and everything. And, you know, for someone... And, and maybe she... Uh, you know, he had been drinking. Maybe she was annoyed. Maybe who, but I mean, for someone like that to to put that on a public forum and being in that position and being the sister of it, I mean, all yeah. sorts of problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there's not. There's no way she'd obviously do that when she was uh, not uh, not on the
1: influence of alcohol or whatever. But uh. and I think she did delete the tweet. Yeah, I think I'm it sure was a did, tweet. Yeah. Um, Actually, you know, what, you know, know what we should we should do? Um, we should have a filter that shows you every post you've done after midnight before like that's 9 a.m. great and i like
0: that <laughs> that should be really good that you know <laughs> makes a lot of sense and it, would it probably does. you could go look look back a year and it's like oh, why did i write that james we we got to build our own social network yeah, Definitely. Yeah. i mean we've just got so many insights you know i'm sure someone's listening that's just you know looking at uh, working and making their money work and putting some money into a new social network let's let's talk there like we we we've got some ideas which we obviously won't speak about on the podcast but um you know we feel this is all the beginning but just back onto this californian law this article actually talks about some other californian laws that were passed at the same time um which which are quite interesting they passed a law also which makes it illegal um to use bots to buy tickets on the web. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I saw that Ticketmaster were very happy about that. Yeah. I I mean, is that just because scalpers mainly use these bots for these, you know, concerts that sell out and they then resell them? Is is that why they're so upset, The Ticketmaster's so upset and then they leave they effectively get annoyed that that they don't get a cut of the <laughs> the extra normal profits on the in the secondary market? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Look,
1: I mean, it's artificially inflating the um the, the price of the products. And I guess it's like anything when you've got limited supply, um, you know, the first the first people to buy it, if, if, uh, if you know, if it sells out, then they can put a huge markup on it.
0: How are they going to police this, though? The good old black hat story. I mean, how are they going to police?
1: Well, there's probably a bit like spam, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, they probably would rely on, you know, people reporting it and then, you know, finding evidence. And you know, I guess it just adds that, that little bit of barrier to make it more risky um, to... Potentially not make it worthwhile, you know, people's effort, and there's obviously an awful lot of they can do with technology as well to, to stop stop this from happening. And I'm sure Tickmaster already have plenty of technology to um, to detect it and to to limit it, um, but. Um, Yeah, no, it is. It's it's a very interesting era. It's very interesting to see when law starts meeting new technology and Mm. how they kind of handle it. And um, takes a while, right? It takes a while, yeah. And then there's always the unintended consequences of, of it as well. And it's like it's almost like our our deal with Twitter, where they're forcing us to click on every every account. Well, you know, the same thing can happen with scalping. If it's now illegal to have bots doing it, then you can just kind of outsource it somewhere, and you know, have people just purchase it from other countries and. There's always ways around it that make it very hard to legislate against this kind of activity.
0: But I think with scalping, just like illegal downloads, that the key is for these companies to get in on the game. And I think some of these companies have on some of these auction sites, mm. and they, you know, these secondary markets, so to speak, fulfill a purpose. And it's it's usually people don't want to be criminals. It's usually people are looking for convenience and for a product. It's they not they're not looking at circumventing. You know, um, um, when I wanted to buy a ticket for. Um, FBI Radio's tenth birthday a few weeks ago, and it was sold out. I was grateful that there were people selling tickets on the secondary market, and um, I've, I managed to find someone who was selling it at face value. But y- you know, and and so I think I think you know the the philosophical debates are sort of missing the point sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Netflix came out. I think you sent me the article that um, you know since Netflix has been in Canada, torrents have just you know decreased totally. So now people are paying. You know, to to, to see legitimate yeah. content. Yeah,
1: Netflix have reported that um, since they came in Canada, that uh, piracy has decreased by fifty percent, which is which is pretty huge. So whether that number is you know real or not, there's been some debate. But um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, there's definitely something happening there. It shows when you give people the avenues to do these things legally, and uh, they take them.
0: Yep, no, that's interesting. The other law that they passed, which was interesting, was. Um, um, California drivers have to provide three feet of space between their vehicle and cyclists on the road or to slow to a safe speed as they go by. Um, the bill represents a partial victory for cyclists who have lobbied for years for stricter safety measures. Anyway, that's n- not tech related, but it's quite interesting um, that, uh, that's, that finally cyclists are getting some legitimacy on the road. So uh, I know in Sydney, I, I just wouldn't ride on the roads. I, I don't think we have a law um, like that. I think we, you've just got to treat cyclists here, as far as I'm aware, as any other vehicle. So even if they're cycling at, you know, 15 k's an hour, you sort of just got to uh, just grin and bear I th- it? No,
1: I think, there is, I think there is some law. I think there is some minimum distance you've got to keep, yeah. yeah. Australia's got pretty comprehensive road laws whether whether people know them and follow them is another thing but i'm pretty sure when i did my test there was some minimum distance you had to you had to sorry uh, yeah minimum distance you couldn't be within
0: i mean we just got to move to the auto driving cars and auto driving yeah can't wait for that or at least auto steering bicycles because you still want to cycle because half the reason is you want to get the exercise and you enjoy that but maybe it auto steers right Look, as long as the cars
1: automatically steer and get out of the way, there's no problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's,
0: a, it's it's coming into contact with a car and cycling is is not a good idea. Anyway, you're listening to Kevin and James on the It's a Monkey podcast, Friday, twenty seventh of September, one week after my birthday. Um, send gifts um, my way. <laughs> Um, we are taking a short break, and then we'll be talking um, about everything quantum mechanics and teleportation. The future um, has arrived, so um, stick around. Remember, you can tweet us at uh, monkeypodcast. You can email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Um, Comments on our website. If you are listening on iTunes, we love reading your comment. Tell your friends about it. We love doing this show for you and keep the feedback coming. So we'll be back after this break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Okay, James, before we uh, listen to the interview with Dr. Fedorov, um, paint us a picture, quantum mechanics, teleportation, just just bring it down to, to lay persons level.
1: Ooh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so quantum quantum teleportation. Uh, it's it's a very interesting area. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, the concept behind it is it all comes down to this thing called quantum entanglement, uh, which means that um, if you have two atoms, two you know bits of matter essentially, um, and you uh, well and you split them up so uh, you have sort of bits of quant- quantum parts of atoms, so like tiny parts of atoms, and you split them up, there are certain states they can become into where they become entangled. Uh, and what that means is um, if you have... It's kind of like if you took a um, split an apple into two and and uh, you, you cut one half the apple, the other apple would also have a cut in it as well. So it's kind of... Um, Uh, This kind of like spooky kind of communication between these two parts, which, you know, it doesn't really exist anywhere else in in the physical world. It's kind of this, um, you know, two things that are not directly tied to each other are tied together in in some kind of uh, weird way, Um, if that makes sense. That's kind of what quantum entanglement is. So
0: basically saying that that, um, if one atom behaves in a certain way, necessarily the other atom is somehow going to react in a way that's linked to the, the way the first atom behaves? So it's a little bit...
1: So the reason why I try to avoid details is because it gets complicated really quickly because there's all these issues around measurement within quantum states. Right. And you can't measure something without changing it. And the trouble is with, with quantum entanglement is... Um, basically, what it means is if you, if you measure the state of your entangled atom, mm-hmm. then the state of the other entangled atom is then predetermined, but you only know that once you measure your state. Right. So it's actually really quite hard. Like there's all these kind of conditions that actually make it really quite hard to pass information between the two.
0: It's sort of like you can't take a photo of someone naturally whilst they're watching you because yes, it changes yeah, what yeah. they look like yeah kind of kind of like that yeah so there's there's these
1: all these conditions around it uh but there's obviously something that the fact you can have these entangled states of two things that are you know physically separated is is really interesting and you know, effectively it's it's kind of like near instant you can kind of think of it as you know near instantaneous communication between these two physically separated um you know bits of bits of matter t- you know really tiny bits of matter well bits of energy but <laughs> all, all, all this stuff gets complicated um, but um, the, so the whole thing with te- quantum teleportation is trying to use this entanglement to actually perform communication so it's called teleportation because um, you know in theory this this communication is instantaneous uh, or near, near instantaneous uh, because of entanglement but the teleportation itself isn't uh, it's it's more to do with information moving between the two things rather than um, rather than any actual matter or you know one one thing appearing in one space and then moving to another space so um, you know quantum teleportation is, is really more about communication than it is about you know teleportation in, in what we would traditionally um, call it but um, obviously you know it, you know, to some degree, it could, you know, end up leading down that route, you know, in, in a very, very long time in the future. But um, the thing where it's most interesting right now is uh, in quantum computing. So there's some issues within quantum computing where uh, it, I think it's called like denormalization, where essentially if you're trying to run, use um, a user quantum computer and you're using these very fragile quantum states, they can very easily come... Uh, become sort of misaligned and you need very quick uh, I- uh, communication between the, the, the elements in order to kind of uh, um, react to that and to deal with it and that's where you know they're hoping quantum teleportation will make a big difference. It will, it will solve some of these problems that um, quantum computing has had. Um, so that's really why people are working on it right now and that's, that's really what these, these advances mean. Um, so the idea is if we can do quantum teleportation then we can do much better quantum computing.
0: And quantum computing then will impact us all in positive ways, basically. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, <laughs> I mean, if, if uh, your processes will, you know, our computers will be able to do more things faster, etc. Basically continue on the, the, the evolutionary journey that they have been on, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a case of... Um,
1: look, I mean, all this stuff, it's very... Um, when we talk about quantum, it's very sort of... It's not like... Um, it's kind of a different world to the world we live in right now it's almost like the difference between no computers and computers so you know with quantum computers it's not necessarily about faster computers it's about very different computers mm. um and it's more about you know the things we don't know like there's no way we could have predicted the internet and wikipedia and all this stuff before we had computers and it's very much a similar thing for quantum computers like we know there's something there that's very different it's like this entanglement thing like we know that the whole entanglement situation is very interesting we just can't do that kind of communication without quantum entanglement Um, and it's basically just trying to build things which utilize these these physical properties and just seeing where it leads to is that that's really what it happens what it's all about
0: very interesting well let's listen to dr fedorov um, who i spoke to previously and uh, hopefully he can shed some light or even further confuse the hell out of all of us Okay, here's Dr. Fedorov. You're back with Kevin Garban. on It's a Monkey Podcast, episode number 25, coming to you almost live from our um, offices in Sydney, Australia. It is spring, and spring in Sydney is always wonderful. Now, on my Facebook page the other day, one of my friends shared a photo from a, a great Facebook um group called uh, I effing Love Science, which posts some fascinating bits and pieces about science. And this post referred to the fact that some level of teleportation at an atomic level had been achieved. And what I found particularly interesting about this post was, lo and behold, this had been achieved on our doorstep um, in Australia, um, in Queensland. So I looked up further details of the study and and of the team. Um, and I'm happy to say at the end of um, my Skype line in, in sunny Brisbane, Queensland, I got Dr. Fedorov, um, who's uh, the senior lecturer at the School of Mathematics and Physics at the University of Queensland. And Dr. Fedorov was involved with the paper um, called Deterministic Quantum Teleportation with Feed Forward in a Solid State system and I've got him on the line to help explain what exactly this means and how exciting all of this is. Dr Fedorov, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much.
0: So let's just take a step back, many step backs. Whenever we start talking about quantum computing and quantum mechanics, it gets complicated very, very quickly for us mere mortals, can you just paint a little bit of a bigger picture at exactly what, what your research means, what the context of all of this is? Just help us fill in a little bit of the gaps.
2: Um, okay, so I am representing uh, the particular part of uh, quantum information research. So we are working with superconducting quantum devices. Right. So a lot of scientists work with other systems, such as atoms, photons, so some natural systems which are uh, expected to behave quantum mechanically, but we are a little bit different because uh, our systems are fully artificial, and we fabricate them at the clean room, and then uh, they kind of uh, recreate uh, natural atoms. Okay. Uh, but in the fabricated uh, systems. And what we try, we try to take advantage of quantum mechanics, so to make uh, the systems behave in a certain way, uh, such that we have advantages in processing of information, for example.
0: Okay, now this this particular research, I mean, everyone hangs on to the word that um, teleportation, and being able to transmit an atom instantly from one place to another. How significant has this achievement been how significant is this uh, research okay
2: first of all i would like to note that actually it is not that not the atom which is teleported but only information on the atom right so in, in fact we have um, two atoms so in our experiment there were two artificial atoms right at different positions and then the information which is encoded in the state of one atom is then instantaneously transferred to another place. But uh, nothing physically is being teleported. So So I think it's kind of important to realize.
0: That there's a difference. There's a difference Mm -hmm. between teleporting the information about the atom and Mm -hmm. actually teleporting the atom itself. But is this a stepping stone, an important stepping stone to one day being able to teleport an atom itself?
2: Um, Okay, (laughs) it's hard to say. So maybe... uh, so, originally, it's not about, uh, like, um, teleportation of any, like, physical object. Right. So, it's only about teleportation. So, in some sense, you can think of, um, yeah. yeah, that you teleport exactly the state of the matter. Right. So, therefore, um, yeah, it's not directly linked to teleport- teleportation of um, kind of, like, a, a like, person a, a, or a big, uh, big object. Yeah. Um, but somehow there is a connection because it uh, it somehow happens in the in the way we think of teleportation of uh, from from movies, for example.
0: So so, what is the significance um, of this particular achievement and this particular research? I understand that it's it's only um, been the ability to teleport information about an atom, but it's still in reading some of the articles online. It still seems like it's quite a significant achievement.
2: Okay, teleportation was uh, first proposed by theorists. Uh, Is uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly. 1994 by Bennett and Clauser, and uh, they kind of realized uh, theoretically that if you do certain quantum operations, then the yeah the information can actually be, be teleported from one side to another one, and it was not possible to explain by classical uh, laws. So initially, it was just all about kind of a new fundamental phenomena, which is uh, yeah, just a good demonstration of what can happen in quantum world, but cannot happen in our classical world. But eventually, when quantum information uh, started the field of research uh, as a whole, uh, people also realized that this is a very important resource for co- quantum computers and quantum communications, uh, et cetera, For example, uh, yeah, this quantum teleportation can be used as a resource for uh, distribute the uh, like for quantum cryptography, uh, like to distribute quantum information between uh, different locations. And uh, yeah, and, uh, it was realized that it was also a useful resource for these applications in the future. Uh,
0: so, so how, so how so? It sounds like that um, someone who's listening to this podcast that one day they could perhaps have faster computers as a result of research like this
2: yeah it's also faster computers and a uh, second application is this quantum cryptography when you have a uh, secure communication right so it's also directly related to this uh, for example uh, this uh, quantum cryptography is based on the transferring of quantum also quantum information Right, and that's why it is secure. And in order to transfer quantum information, you cannot do it uh, as easy as with classical information. And then you can use, for example, quantum teleportation to do that.
0: Is there any technology? I mean, you you obviously you, you know a member of the, the the faculty there, but is there any technology that um, you know? Is there any commercialization on the horizon of any? Technology based around this research, or just do you? sort is this just purely just academic research, and and it's up to others to to take parts of it and, and perhaps commercialize it?
2: Okay, I think certain experiments with teleportation, um, like especially with photons, uh, they might have find um, some kind of commercialization in the future, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 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 example, for this. Uh, secure communication, but our experiment was done with a particular system, which is, at the moment is uh, it's a r- rather new system. So this is superconducting quantum devices. So at this moment um, we don't have yet any applications, but this uh, research area is growing very very fast. <laughs> and uh, okay, our experiment was uh, in particular. Uh, one of the purposes was kind of a demonstration what can 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 be done with such systems so essentially in this uh, teleportation experiment we showed that with our devices we can do all steps necessary for quantum computing and like for, yeah, possibly for quantum communication uh, but at that particular moment there is no yet application but yeah hopefully uh, since uh, this area grows so fast it might appear in some some
0: future and and what does i mean you know for us people even though we work in technology quantum computing and and quantum mechanics just just still seems like something that's that's so far from our understanding when you 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 referred a few times to your experiments and your your research are you looking in microscopes are you dealing with supercomputers are you in a particle accelerator what type of format does, does an experiment around teleporting um, information about atoms actually take?
2: Okay, in our particular experiment, we use not real uh, atoms, but uh, artificial atoms. So, in fact, as I mentioned before, so we create an uh, electronic chip mm-hmm. uh, similar to um, chips in our Classical com- like standard computers. Uh, so by using lithographic techniques, also very similar to like fabrication techniques you- used to to create transistors, like and uh, like microelectronic schemes. Uh, but uh, and this electronic chip uh, has these artificial atoms, and and we control the behavior of these artificial atoms by electrical signals. Right. So we have this small chip, and this small chip has to be also cooled cooled down at very low temperatures
1: mm-hmm.
2: to avoid, uh, like, thermal noise and thermal excitations. And what we try, we try to, uh, to really make this chip uh, behave quantum mechanically, according to quantum, uh, to the laws of quantum mechanics.
0: That's... It must be quite challenging if you if you go to a a um, cocktail party or a barbecue and you 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 meet someone and they ask you what you do. It must be quite quite frustrating sometimes to explain this um, to people. It's very it's very um very theoretical and very abstract for most people to understand, isn't it?
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think it's changing now because. Uh, it is it is maybe hard to understand initially but but this is kind of unavoidable because uh, i mean we already know everything about uh, like our classical devices our classical transistors so it, it's unavoidable that we go to towards quantum uh, uh, quantum
0: mechanics and so. and it seems like in many ways we're hitting the physical limits of of certain elements of our, our computing. For instance, chemical battery life seems to have hit its sort of limit. that they're, they're struggling to innovate. Mm-hmm. We we need some new disruptive technologies to really crack on through some of the limits that we've hit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, the main motivation. So, specifically for for our classical processors, so the. mean, yeah the elements of these processes are already so small that we we also have to encounter some quantum effects already at this point. Uh, however, what we do is a little bit different. We not just uh, try to encounter for some effects but we even try to take advantage of quantum effects right. in, in this respect um, kind of we try to uh, not just somehow compensate some unwanted uh, effect due to for example tunneling of electrons which is a quantum effect but we want really to use uh, like a new laws or uh, laws of quantum mechanics for our advantage and to for much more powerful processing of information
0: let, let me ask you a slightly unrelated question but you know many maybe 50 years ago even maybe 40 even maybe 30 years ago if you told someone that we would be able to email each other a video instantaneously across the world people would be quite surprised and uh, they they wouldn't believe that it was on the horizon do you think physical teleportation you know not on the quantum level on the real world level do you think um, that could happen in 50 years based on the um, um, trajectory of the uh, of the innovation and research in all sorts of areas that's happening now
2: Okay, it's very hard to say. <laughs> so, I mean, when you again, when you talk about teleportation, you mean uh, like physical teleportation, e- of exactly,
0: of one exactly. And I know that's not your area, but you definitely understand a lot more about this the, these things than we do. So, I'm curious, just what your general perspective and uh, on uh, on the future of this area is.
2: Okay, I'm not so optimistic about uh, physical teleportation right. in the near future. But given the uh, kind of the speed how this quantum research is is going, uh, it is possible, I think, in fifty years to have quantum computers.
0: Okay. Well, at least at least that's something. Maybe we can use the quantum computers when they are around to work out how to uh, achieve physical teleportation.
2: Yeah. Okay. Quantum computers operate with more like yeah again quantum information. <laughs> not something which is not so physical <laughs> but uh, which may give us uh, nonetheless uh, like of course uh, very useful things
0: <laughs> and uh... dr fedorov have you received a lot of interest um, you know press interest from australia and around the world regarding this research what has been the response to to this research coming out
2: um, yeah i think uh... Um, yeah, that, there was quite some um, response, yes. So I also would like to know that actually the experiment was done uh, in, not in Australia but in in uh, in Zurich in ATH. Right. And uh, yeah, there was there was also quite some interest from I mean from from European uh, news and I think it was a, some article in a National Geographic website about it.
0: Terrific. Uh,
2: yeah, so I think it's. Yeah, people noticed
0: it <laughs> So, so it was it was a joint effort, and um, but I'm sure Queensland is pretty proud to have a member of their faculty or, or a team from their faculty as part of this research, even if it was a collaborative European effort.
2: Okay, at the moment we so uh, we are trying actually to use these advances, which uh, I developed uh, together with my colleagues. Mm-hmm. In, uh, back in Europe uh, and we are trying to transfer this uh, kind of technology to to UQ uh, to Australia right and at the moment we are building a new new app which is going to to actually use all this uh, technology here in Australia so hopefully in a few years we will be able to do our own experiments
0: <laughs> terrific well that yeah look uh, I, I think um i think australia um you know to help helping a, a culture of research was, is definitely in in the interests of everyone so that's that sounds like it's a good uh, a good initiative. Do- Dr. Fedorov, I really appreciate your time joining us on the podcast. It's a really interesting area. We'll, we'll follow your achievements uh, with interest and um, I'll put some information on our website if, if someone's listening and they are interested. It is a fascinating area. It's a little bit difficult for most of us to get our head around, but uh, it, it, it's very fascinating nonetheless and I appreciate your time in talking to us today from Queensland.
2: Thank you very much. It was my pleasure to
0: talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free Budgie account.
0: Okay, well, James um i i don't know if i've got that much more information than than you shared but um i think i think it's a you know by nature of its area it's it's you know we've, we've spoken about quantum computing before when i was in new york um it seems like a very difficult concept to explain if you're not in it
1: yeah it is it is i mean it's kind of like computers as well i mean in they're actually really quite complicated to explain like you know we can we can look at a computer and we can see what it does but to sort of talk about bits and ones and zeros and how that all comes together to actually construct a program it's, it's very difficult to conceptualize the whole um, construct
0: but it's not computers aren't really that esoteric i mean on a reductionist level you know it's zeros and ones and then you have the operating system and you have ram and it's it's I mean, maybe it's just because I've been working with them for a long time, so for me it's just you know straightforward. Yep. But it doesn't seem like like quantum. It seems like there's this this strange esoteric leap that you've got to take. Yeah, the problem with quantum is um, you know
1: at least with computers we can kind of mentally relate it to real world things. Um, the problem with anything that's in the sort of quantum space is, uh, you know, traditional rules that we would expect don't really apply. You know, just the you know things like quantum tun- tunneling where you know one object can actually move through another physical object it just doesn't exist in 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 the real world um, so there's all these things that happen when you get down to the quantum level that um, you know it's, it's it almost impossible for us to conceptualise as humans because we don't it's you know our brains weren't built to understand them we just don't have that day to day experience with them um, so yeah there's definitely a, a
0: huge leap necessary in order to understand it yeah well, it's um very interesting times we we'll, we'll we'll keep on trying to um, you know follow up these these stories and maybe be, you know piece piece the puzzle together. Um, Dr. Fedorov um, at a cocktail party, I, mm. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'd like to go to that cocktail party. Like i think to, I think it would be good. I think it would be good. We, I, should, we should have a quantum quantum mechanics uh,
1: cocktail party and um, invite five people
0: here. I'm up for it. I mean, sometimes I reflect. You know, I like to get all trippy on, uh, um, you know, all these esoteric things on atoms and universe. And if there was nothing, well, how can there be nothing? And you know, I, I quite like all these really mind bendy topics but our brain sort of reaches well at least my brain reaches the the end of its capacity very very quickly there's lots of things we don't know lots of things you
1: know all this stuff within quantum teleportation and you know we're kind of just sort of stabbing in the dark a little bit and seeing what sticks so um yeah no it's it's there's lots of questions we don't have answers to which makes it so interesting
0: and then things like twitter and facebook that they, they all seem so um you know so trivial compared to you know (laughs) so we create we create a network that we communicate and send at replies to each other and it's it's you know it all just seems so um you know diluted compared to teleportation Mm -hmm. and just really um but i but i guess you know it's it's maybe it's just you know it's the it's the um it's the sort of pointy end of technology but underneath all of this if you look at the stack of technology that's enabled something like twitter or facebook to work and even if you just look at the data centers and the databases and 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 operating systems and everything behind the mobile phone and you know there's the the fact of the simplicity the point of simplicity and everything just works is actually a net result of a massive amount of um, Darwinian type of uh, technological evolution. Absolutely, yeah. It's the
1: uh, the whole standing on the sho- uh, shoulders of giants, whatever that um, that book is. It's the you know, it's everything we do is built on you know lots of small past success
0: from the from the past, and um, wouldn't be possible without all these advances that we're having. And that's where capitalism sort of definitely gets quite distorted. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he's executed well on his plan, but it's. Facebook's a, a successor as a result of a zillion technologies that, that have gone before them, you know, many yeah. open source ones as mm. well. Um, yeah. And that's where capitalism does get a little bit, you know, funny and and um, lumpy mm-hmm. in the way that it, it rewards people. I mean, um, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, 100,000 times richer than um, Tim Berners-Lee, mm. who invented the World Wide Web. Yeah. Yeah, something a little bit strange there. It's something, something a little bit strange. Not, not, to pick on Mark Zuckerberg, he's, I, you know, I think, uh, I think he's good for the industry. But it's, we've got to be aware of these distortions sometimes. We should start our own country, Succeed, <laughs> Yeah. Well, yep. we got in, we, we got enough um, land in Australia. I mean, most of we this do, is, yeah, yeah. We could go go um, take a patch in the middle of Australia and nobody even find us for a couple of years. So. We, we, yeah, probably by the time they work out that we've seceded, <laughs> you know. But the, the internet connectivity there would have to be on satellite, and that yeah, would just that, that would be a bit slow. Yeah, that that, that, that would just suck. But I'm uh, sure, we find a way. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we can teleport bandwidth. Teleport, yeah, exactly. Doctor yeah. Fedorov can help <laughs> teleport information about the bandwidth. Exactly. And yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's lots of camels out there. <laughs> Whenever I tell Americans, there's lots of camels in Australia. I, I like I like it in America. It's just so easy to make them fascinated by Australia. Mm. You know, you can become fascinated with your country. Your country, there. The the, t- uh, the a couple of the things. The one is, if you tell Americans that um, it's compulsory to vote, mm. they find that fascinating. And then you talk about healthcare, they find that fascinating. Those two factors alone. If you ever stuck in America for conversation, just talk about compulsory voting, <laughs> <laughs> um, healthcare, and we don't have guns. Well, you can you can talk for hours yeah. about that. Um, anyway, that's been episode number twenty six. It's Friday, the twenty seventh of September. Uh, we really do appreciate appreciate you listening please share um, the link to this podcast um, and we'll appreciate that and uh, we'll see you in two weeks thanks for listening have a good one